0: You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents the Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Republic City Report, the Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender. We are back. We're closing in on the final few episodes of the Legend of Korra. So thank you guys for sticking with me throughout this journey. Those of you who were able to and the rest of you, well, the heck with you. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I have no reason to think that any of you have stopped listening. Other than the fact that we have been continuously having this problem with the podcast showing up. Um, and updating properly on now, um, just iTunes because the podcast is from what I understand currently updating properly on stitcher.com, but it's still not updating on iTunes. And I really hope it does, um, catch up before we're this is done, because I'm sure many of you are missing the episodes, uh, because of that, because you're not aware of the other outlets, um, Though, had you liked the Republic City Report page, um, you would have been getting the links this whole time to let you know where to go to find those, as well as the Tim Bridgewater 2 page on Facebook. But I think I've (laughs) talked about that enough. So, um, yeah, at this point, let's just go ahead and get into the episode here. We're going to, oh, wow. I'm sorry, I'm a, little, I'm a little, it's been a very long day, so I'm just completely forgetting all my normal stuff. Uh, I want to remind you guys, as well as let any new listeners know, that this is a uh, fan Uh, listener feedback, sort of a podcast. So I I invite you to send me emails every episode with your theories and questions and comments and things like that about the episode. And I will read them on air and address them and answer the questions. If it contains any questions Uh, for a segment that I call correspondence. So if you would like to send me your correspondence, send it over to republic city report at gmail.com. With that being said, I do have some correspondence for this episode. Um, I have a couple emails here from vid vid. Is one of my um, top listeners. (laughs) Thank you for emailing me uh, once again. Uh, I'm going to assume that I didn't get any from anyone else because, well, I I have to assume that my listeners have probably dropped by 75 percent or so because of the problems that um, we've been having with iTunes. Um, Because I just was looking at the numbers the other day and it is dropped drastically. And it happened to coincide right with that iTunes issue. So I apologize for that. I hope that once it does show up, you guys come back and uh, check out the episodes. I'm sorry you can't get your emails in and all and those kinds of things. But I guess stuff happens and we just have to keep going and keep moving on. For those of you who have made the effort to keep in touch and to really seek out the podcast by letting by sending me an email asking me what's going on i appreciate it and i hope you guys have found the right avenues in order to be able to listen so with that being said let's go ahead and get into this episode uh this episode is of course going to cover chapter 11 kuvira's gambit um as we start to wind down this final season of the legend of korra so if we recall from episode 10 um it basically ended with them, you know, kind of announcing Julie, kind of revealing that Kuvira is basically getting ready to attack in a couple weeks. So the episode kind of starts off with that it kind of begins with Kuvira kind of giving a speech out to um, the rest of the Earth Empire and just kind of reassuring them that what they're doing is right. Because I'm sure at this point, some people, some of them are still having some doubts, but she's kind of saying that, you know what? Uh, back when Avatar Aang and, and and Fire Lord Zuko were a team, they, they uh, basically took some of the Earth Kingdom and made it into uh, Republic City and uh, the United Republic. And that land belongs to us. So we just want to reclaim it. Um, this is, you know, this is straight up, basically, this is typical sort of villainy. Uh, you know, land has always been one of those things that it's just people have fought wars over for centuries. Right. So this is just another one of those instances where this the events in this show kind of reflect things that have happened in real life. Uh, and it, it, it has that kind of depth to it. Right. It's not just some surface level type thing. You could there are a lot of parallels and a lot of symbolism. Uh, throughout the entire series, let alone this specific instance with Kuvira rising to power. She's, you know, we've made the parallels to Hitler and Nazis and, and just, I mean, all sorts of conquerors and, and, and leaders and dictators throughout history. You can find different sorts of uh, parallels to Kuvira here. And she is just becoming more and more evil <laughs> with every episode. It was just something that we, that is demonstrated very clearly in this episode. Uh, now, what we get here also, which Um, Was a little unusual, but, you know, as the episode progresses, and especially once you get into the later events, it becomes less weird this instance. But we get this moment between Batar Jr. and Kuvira where it's kind of it's kind of a sweet romantic moment. And we we know that they are engaged to be married, but it was never for me, it was never a particularly believable relationship. Right. Because they never Kuvira is is such a, you know, leader, like such a force. It's kind of hard to see her (laughs) agreeing to be someone's wife. I mean, if that makes any sense, but they are engaged. And we did get this kind of sweet moment, you know, where they're kind of together and they're saying that as soon as this is over, we can get together and be married um, but I thought that one special thing about this scene that may not have meant much the first time you saw it, but after you see the rest of the episode, it kind of stands out a little bit more, is the fact that Batar Jr. told her that he loves her and she didn't say it back. Now, it was very subtle. It was not this, they did not, the, the writers did not make a big deal out of it, but it kind of starts to make more sense when you watch the rest of the episode. But they also, at the same time, uh, at the end of this moment, after Kuvira hugs Batar, she smiles and they hold on her face. Right now, this could have went one of two ways if you've seen lots of TV shows and movies. And if someone is up to something and they're being somewhat um, sneaky about it or somewhat um what's the word I'm looking for here devious about something then on that close up even though they're hugging the person they'll show a close up of their face and they'll they'll make some kind of a serious face or they'll scowl or they'll make a a sinister type of a look to let you know that oh this is just a part of my plan but we don't get that from Cuvier. we get a genuine uh, comforting facial expression from her so we do know that she really does care about Batar Jr. Regardless of what happens later on, but the question is, uh, which one is more important to her, right? So, meanwhile, once again, we've got a meeting going on between basically the earth leaders. Uh, I'm sorry, not the earth leaders, uh, well, the world leaders is what I meant by that, but I have to be more specific since we actually have earth leaders. Um, well, it's not, well, I'm sorry, it's not even the world leaders actually, it's Mako, Tenzin, Wu, uh, and Korra. so they're just kind of discussing, you know, what the next plan is, the next step in the plan, and then uh, Boland busts in with with Lynn and Sue, and they're kind of explaining what happened, um, about how he rescued them, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you know, they basically tell her about the, uh, tell him about the the weapon that she has, and Tenzin is, Tenzin is kind of asking. Uh, you know, what happened and what's going on. So basically it's it's kind of an an, uh, an exposition sort of moment here because Julie's in there and they're just kind of catching uh, all of the people who weren't there for those events up on it and, and, and kind of a way um, reminding us of it as well. But of course we also do get some new information throughout this scene. Uh, For instance, um, it's, Th- this whole idea of this, this rail, remember the, the, uh, the monorail that was, that, that was addressed very early on in this season? Uh, it's kind of coming back around because they have this, you know, Lynn kind of proposes this theory that Kuvira is going to use that rail to transport the weapon because how else would she get it around? Of course, we'll find out later on how that happened. But right now, that seems like the best logical explanation. So they're saying, OK, well, we're going to cut the rail line so that she can't get into the city with the weapon. Um, meanwhile, uh, you know, this is basically what, what Cora's current mission is going to be along with, uh, team avatar to, to try to, to try to stop that. Now, meanwhile, you know, we've been hearing, we've been hearing more about, you know, they, they mentioned, uh, on the last episode of one before about this, this idea that Varric and Asami had of building these, uh, these suits that are supposed to fly and they're based on, uh dragonflies or i forgot <laughs> you know how they come they combine the animals of dragonfly and a hummingbird or something like that um which i can't wait to see what that turns into right i mean just just imagine the scene once those things are launched into the sky <laughs> so that, that's something that kind of came out of nowhere it's like all of a sudden we've got this new invention that that's just kind of come along that's going to be a part of this battle and i'm sure it'll be pretty sweet but more importantly throughout this as we get this reunion between julie and varick right we all knew that julie was just putting on the whole time secretly trying to sabotage kuvira's plan and now we kind of get this really tender moment here where uh julie comes in and she just says you know just let me explain and she just apologizes and says she would never turn on him and she thought she could help and all that and it's very it's very sweet and it's very tender and you know it it makes you want to slap Varick, doesn't it? <laughs> and I think, I think Bolin wants to slap Varick too. And I'm pretty sure Julie wants to slap Varick because Varick being Varick, he, hear, he hears all of that very tender, sweet stuff. And he still remains Varick. And he's like, okay, uh, that's great. Uh, get back to work on the assembly line and all that. But Julie's not having it now. You know, she's, she's kind of annoyed by it. She's saying that, you know what, from this point on, uh, if you want me to stick around, you have to treat me as an equal. And uh, so I can't wait to see how that turns out. But, you know, it just it frustrates you. It frustrates you, even though these are animated fictional characters that very could be so stubborn and blind and have this woman that would do anything for him and, and has done anything for him and puts up with his abuse and still wants to be with him and pretty much professes all her feelings for him. And he's still like, you know, hard headed about it. You know how hard it is to find women like that or men, you know, or people in general (laughs) who want to hear about you that much. Varric, get it together anyway. So we get that moment. But meanwhile, there's also this evacuation that has kind of been put in place because they want to make sure they get as many people out of the city as possible, just in case Kuvira makes it in there with the spear weapon. So um, they kind of go to the switch, the switchboard room. Uh, remember that this <laughs> this series kind of takes place in what would kind of be considered the 1920s or 30s and that you know so this makes perfect sense and I love the way that they're always consistent about that with the technology I mean except for when it comes to the robots and stuff I mean they they jump ahead with that but that's the cool thing about it is that it combines this 1920s 30s era with uh, with the far future by having like these robots and these spirit weapons and and stuff like that. It's a very nice combination of things. It reminds me sort of, uh, you know, Captain America, you know, it was, it took, it took place years ago, but there was still like, you know, there still was a lot of technology, uh, which is cool. It's a nice combination, but basically, Mako is trying to get everyone to evacuate, but they're not understanding because he's given all of these long, complicated instructions and they're worried. So the switchboards are lighting up. People are calling in confused. And once again, Prince Wu steps in and kind of proves himself again. I told you this would start to happen more frequently, right? Is that he's not, because he has to grow too. That's the good thing about this show is that these characters just don't serve no purpose at all. Um, They come along and they have, he has an arc as well. And he's becoming much more of a King now because he's learning how to be a leader and he's kind of doing the right thing and it's, it's becoming impressive he may even turn into someone that Korra could love by the end of this thing. You never know. <laughs> so. Um, and then we get a moment here where we get to see Pima, who it's always very weird to hear Pima talk because we never hear her voice or we rarely hear her voice. So when she talks, it's it's just kind of it almost feels like it's a brand new character on the show. <laughs> but. We get a very small moment here to where, you know, Tenzin is talking to them about evacuating and she's saying, you know what? This is our home uh we're gonna stay here and we want to fight and everything and it's a, it's a it's a good moment because she's talking about her i mean of course little rohan is gone because they can't leave the baby in the city during this to fend for himself so he's gone with someone else but um we've we still got tenzin pema Ike, Milo, and Jinora that are going to kind of stick around and he kind of directs them and says okay here's what you can do you can go with the rest of the airbenders and kind of watch the uh Watch the, the Earth Army uh, from the skies and kind of keep an eye on them and everything like that. So um, we've got that going on. Now, meanwhile, um, everyone is evacuating. Prince Wu and Pema are doing their best to kind of help people, to, to help guide people. Um, and we get this really kind of cool um, 1930s-esque shots, you know, to where, you know, there's, there's, they're really just stills. No one's moving, but you know exactly what's going on. And I like that. You know, I like that because the Legend of Korra, they would switch it up on you every now and then and give you something real cool like that. And then right after that, guess what? Okay, if you've been (laughs) if you've been listening to this podcast for the whole this whole season, you know, I have addressed a million times. Where is General Iroh? Right. Where's General Iroh? I've been I've been saying it from the beginning. I've been saying there's no way. I said I have so much faith in this show. I really don't believe that they would introduce them this character and just drop him off and never bring him back up ever again well here's the perfect moment for them to reintroduce general Iroh into the show uh apparently he only shows up when there's a big attack on a city well he's a general so that kind of makes sense um but I'm so glad they did that because you know the the series is coming to a close now we've got to get closure for all of our characters and he's never been one of the bigger characters I mean that's, that's that's no secret So I don't I don't expect to have a closing arc for him because he was never really established as that. You know, he was established as this guy who kind of came in and did what he needed to do. And and then he would go. But I'm so glad they brought him back into the mix, as I figured they would. Uh, Very rarely does this show let me down. So then we get a shot of Kuvira in the in the army and they're just kind of. uh, Or was that Kuvira in the army? Well, we got a, a shot of a bunch of mechs. And then we get this really cool moment where um, Team Avatar, the, the base Team Avatar, uh, Mako, Asami, Bolin, and Korra walk in and they're talking to Tenzin and Lin, And they have this idea that they would really rather go and try to take out the spirit weapon uh, instead of just waiting for Kavira to show up with it, right? And this is a very smart move by the writers, To address that, because it would have been very easy. You know how I talked about on last episode, I was saying how, why didn't they just take out Korra? I mean, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm doing it again. Why didn't I just take, why didn't they just take out Kuvira when they had the chance after Toph showed up and leveled everything and Kuvira was kind of there by herself? Well, they're kind of saving themselves yet another questionable moment like that in this situation by saying would they really just sit there and wait for her to arrive with the with the weapon you know that wouldn't make any sense i mean we this is a show where we have people who can fly okay and i'm not talking i don't mean like Zahir. i mean you know there there are there are ways of traveling that are really fast uh (laughs) by way of bison so it's not like they have to sit there and wait or travel for three weeks to catch up with kuvira and see where they are uh so it makes sense that the writers would say, well, in this moment, let's let's uh, let's let them actually go out and try to attempt to, you know, cut this thing off, because it's a little less believable that they would just kind of sit there and wait. Uh, and, and plus, it just gives us an opportunity to just kind of, you know, see it in sort of a more on, ominous sort of way. Right. Because then we see uh, it, it reveals this big mech suit. Thing <laughs> that Kuvira is in. So, um, did anyone see this coming? Send send me a uh, an email at republiccityreport at gmail dot com if you thought for one second that Kuv- that they were secretly working on a giant mechanized robot who was going to transport this spirit weapon. Never saw it coming. I mean, they didn't do anything, to my knowledge to hint that something like that was going to happen or that it was even possible. Now, you know, I had, a, I mean, we talked about the, the, them tearing down the domes and, and while we still don't know for sure what that was for, uh, I've always kind of assumed that they would use those domes and melt them together to make something. And I'm not saying that that's what happened, but that's my theory that they use the domes to make uh, this mech. Because that's the only other thing that I can think of that went unanswered that could possibly uh lend to this mechanized robot showing up. So we get that. And yes, it's a huge mech, and it's a very ominous sort of scene here. It's very Game of Thrones like. Any of you watch that and, and know uh what happens at the wall, uh it kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> Because we've got these these guys uh, just kind of they're kind of lookouts and and they just they, they get it first because they're on the outside perimeter of everything and they're down at the wall basically the first responders. You know, they're supposed to report these kinds of things, but there's none of them left to report anything. So we get Team Avatar that shows up basically like the next morning and they're in the sky. And now they're seeing, wow, so Kuvira's actually on the move now a week earlier than she said she would be. Not that she's told them about it, but this is what Julie overheard Kuvira say. So the plans have changed since that has happened. So Team Avatar actually gets to see this giant mech. And not only that, uh, it also sees them. (laughs) So uh, we get to see the inside of this thing and we see that Kuvira is actually controlling it. Uh, Well, it's being controlled multiple ways, but one of the main controls is that she's using metal bending to uh, manipulate the controls to control this thing. So just another very cool way we're seeing bending being used for something other than just regular fighting. Uh, And she it takes a couple shots at at, at Team Avatar as they soar through the sky on the back of the bison um but they do manage to escape um but you know I, i've been saying all along that you know kuvira herself in my opinion was just as amazing of a fighter that she that she is she was never just enough of a threat on her own right we knew that by the end of this thing there would have to be some bigger thing and this is before we even knew about the spirit weapon i, I was saying this you know I was saying that, you know, they have to turn those vines into some big thing and some even bigger thing to really make this thing be a threat because Kuvira at the end of the day is just one person. I mean, sure, she has an army, but so does the United Republic, you know, and it can't just be, you know, you know, if they ganged up on Kuvira, they could take her. So there had to be something else that came along to make her bigger, more, much more of a threat. And that, uh, happens to be this giant mech. So team Avatar makes it back to, I think, I think they're all at air temple Island at this point. Um, I think, yeah, I believe so. So yeah, they go back and they kind of deliver the news that she's, she's coming with this big mech. Um, so then they all kind of come, they're all back together and, uh, they're kind of splitting up and saying, you know, okay, you go do this. We're going to go do this. Um, you know, uh, we've got we've got the Metal Clan members involved now. So everybody's kind of going to do their respective things. And Coral mentions that she's going to go to the front lines to meet up with General Iroh. So that's very cool. And then we get this really cool kind of sequence. Uh, and I, I just realized that I say the word kind of a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I, sometimes i listen back to these episodes and i'm like wow not only did i say the wrong name like four or five times i also say the word kind of a lot but you know it's that's how it is we all have our things right anyway um so we get this this pretty cool sequence where you know everyone's kind of showed up and 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 at this point the uh, the new Earth Empire army is just kind of on the outskirts of everything, but we've got the airbenders watching them from above, and it's, they all seem to be there. I mean, we don't get close-ups of everyone, but more importantly, we get to see Kai again, right? Remember I was saying, okay, where's Kai? Kai just kind of disappeared for a couple episodes. Uh, we don't even hear him talk in this episode, but he's there, right? And it makes sense. I mean... It makes sense for some of these characters to show up but not talk. I, I, think, I think the same thing happens with Boomy, actually. Boomy's Bumi, involved, too, but I don't think we actually hear him talk because there's kind of enough going on in this episode already. And, and truthfully, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, it's just cheaper, right? If they don't have anything to say that's extremely important for the episode, just keep them quiet, and then you don't have to pay the voice actors to record that dialogue. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that that's why they did it, but that's, it's something you kind of have to keep in mind with episodes is that you know the more voices you have that's more people you're paying to come back in and record this and record that but you can still have those characters there and not have to pay those voice actors anything extra if they don't talk (laughs) but that's what like i said though you know if it's something that's important to the episode sure but if it's not then they can be quiet and just still be there and be silent and do what they need to do and it's very cool And once again we get these cool little vignettes you know uh it's kind of like i said it's kind of an old-timey sort of uh way of making film and, and that's brilliant because a lot of that stuff was really good uh, so finally we get a, reu- a re- sort of reunion here between General Iroh and Korra uh, and you know what I really love about this scene go go back and watch the beginning of this scene and I'm, I'm talking about the scene with Korra and Iroh and they're on the outskirts of the city um, I want you to notice this shot okay the The camera does something very interesting here when revealing this this mech. It zooms in. The camera zooms in on the mech behind the mountain as it's coming from behind the mountain. And then it kind of bounces out and the camera's out of focus. That is very much a technique that is used in actual filmmaking. Because when I saw that, I started thinking, I thought immediately of Pacific Rim or it it especially works well when you have something that's really big big and it's emerging from behind something. Uh, watch Pacific Rim, watch, uh, Godzilla, watch, uh, you know, like anything like that where there's some, this, this huge thing being revealed. That's a very common, it's not extremely common, but it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that comes along with revealing really big things, big moving objects in film. And I noticed that immediately. And I said, that shot looks like some other things that I've seen, um, there may even be some shots like that in Attack on Titan. I think we talked about that a couple of times on here. Uh, Attack on Titan, there are these really huge Titans. So the way that the uh, cinematographers or the, the director of photography, um, directors of photography sort of reveal these things is usually in that, that sort of a way. It's very uneasy and it's very ominous and it's, it's really intimidating the way it, it's shot. And it's usually got this handheld camera sort of vibe to it just to kind of make you feel like you're watching from a distance feeling the vibrations of it. And I just think that was very cool. Uh, and even that after that, they show a shot where the the, the mech is kind of walking forward and then they transition into Kuvira from the same angle. And then it kind of just, you know, it, it that symbolism, that's what you call, uh, parallels. That's what you call, you know, uh, foreshadowing. That's, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just great. Now, you know, in this moment, we get President Reichel, who's basically wasting his time, you know, trying to convince, convince uh, Kuvira to give up. Kuvira's got her mind set. I mean, it's, but you have to try, right? <laughs> you have to try to get him to, uh, to surrender. And she says she's not, um, you know, unless they, they, you know, they basically don't have a choice here. And she fires and she shows that she's not playing games here. She takes out two boats, basically. Uh, with the spirit weapon. And they see that she's not joking around at this point. Um, so they kind of have to rethink things at this point, you know, because they're they're thinking that mech is is kind of a big deal. Uh, and two of the fleets basically just got taken out by one ray blast all of a sudden. <clears throat> so then Ryko, you know, tragically and kind of sadly has no choice. I mean, she has this gun. Uh, and she basically, he basically says, you know, we have to surrender. We have to do what's right. But of course, meanwhile, Raiko, I'm sorry, um, uh, Iroh and, and Cora are saying, you know, we're going to surrender, but you need to go and take out that weapon. So Korra basically has her mission now at this point. Now we get this scene to where they all kind of have to regroup and, 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 and kind of reconfigure their plans here because, uh, things just kind of went a little faster and more extreme than they were expecting. Uh, so we get this moment to where they're kind of talking about, you know, how, how are we going to stop her with the weapon and the mech and, and everything? And, um, you know, once again, Asami and I, I love how, you know, once again, Asami doesn't get a lot of airtime. But in moments like this, they do give her dialogue and she does make some of the better suggestions to show that she's still there. She's still very much intelligent, still part of this thing. You know, she starts kind of questioning, you know, did you know, Julie, did you know that they were making the, the the Big Mech uh thing, and she says she had no idea. Uh, and then he started talking about Well, we kind of get this throwaway line from <laughs> from Varric. You know, the he Verric only says that so Cora can have the realization, right? Varick makes he says, I guess Batara Jr. is a better inventor than I thought, but don't tell him that. I mean that 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 line literally only serves a purpose to <clears throat> to make Cora think about it and say, wait a second, we're going about this all wrong, you know, uh, we, we should capture Batara Jr. because he knows how it works and we, he knows how to, to shut it down. Um, uh, I can't for the life of me understand why they didn't just decide to just try to go and capture Kuvira. I mean, it stands to reason that they probably could have figured out a way to sneak up on her. I mean, you know, they managed to sneak up on, on Batara Jr. Uh, but you know the story's got to play out, and it's probably something that I'm forgetting. But that's pretty much the idea. Now she's saying that we're going to capture him and make him talk, and he he'll tell us the weak point and how to shut this thing down. And Cora kind of has this moment to where she um, she's 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 stepping into her leader role, right? We're we're watching the legend of Cora, like figuratively here and literally happen in front of our eyes here because in, in a moment like this what Tenzin would normally be like, well, I don't know about that, Cora. You know, he, he just says, I'm in, you know, she's explaining and, and he trusts her right away. So that, that, that moment in itself just, just shows a lot of progression and it shows that we're getting to this point now to where, you know, Cora is truly being this leader that she's always meant to be. And and even one of the wisest people on the show in Tenzin uh, is starting to follow her, her lead as well. And she's saying that, okay, we need a team of airbenders to kind of secretly and stealthily uh, go up to the, uh, the ship and we need to capture Batar And we kind of get this funny slash sad moment because she, she, she uh, delegates a responsibility to, you know, to basically to everyone. She's saying, okay, Tenzin, Iki, Milo, uh, Kai, Opal, I need you guys to do this. And then she, the only one she doesn't name is Milo. Um, which I think I may have said Milo a second ago. I didn't mean to say Milo. I meant to say Genora. <laughs> okay. Milo was left out. Um, and it was kind of sad because it's like, well, why can't I go? And, but then we find out, you know, Cora, she's just being honest. She says, you know what? I mean, your farts, they're kind of loud and we kind of need to be a little quiet about it. And he's saying, uh, I can be quiet. And then he farts immediately while saying it, uh, which is extremely funny. So it makes perfect sense. And, you know, the writers could have chose to uh, ignore that fact and just have him go along, too. But instead, they capitalize on a very humorous moment that also makes a lot of sense by not letting him go. Right. Because they do need to be quiet about it. Milo's not very quiet. Now, what's more interesting about it is that they chose Boomy to go, who also has a big mouth, but he doesn't talk this episode. So for whatever reason, I guess, I mean, well, Boomy's an adult. Okay so it's a little easier for him to keep his mouth closed and Milo. but I love this entire sequence because it's very stealth and it's very ba and it's just so cool. It's just cool to see them infiltrate this ship silently and secretly <laughs> and just capture Batar. you know they go in there like uh you know Rainbow 6 or, or some you know I mean it's just it's pretty cool. We even got uh, Tenzin wearing one of the new... Airbending uh, jumpsuits too, uh, but it's cool because they really they just go in there and they get Batar and they're super secretive and super quiet about it and they're out of there, and it's just very cool to just see them do things like that. Um, you know, it's all uh, it's 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 showing a new side of this team that they're willing to kind of do these kinds of things now to get these answers, and, and I like that. And they're actually in, and then they interrogate him and core tries to threaten Batar Jr. by going into the you know. Uh, the uh, the avatar state but you know he he knows her well enough to know she's not going to actually do anything and you know even lynn goes up to him and tries to appeal her case to him and, and 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 we'll see if that actually does anything uh but meanwhile there was this meeting that was supposed to happen i don't think i mentioned this um once riko surrendered you know part of course uh Kuvira's terms was to send in Batar Jr. and some other delegates to initiate the surrender and all that. So, you know, Raiko and Lin don't know what's going on. So they, they're they're about to have this meeting with, with the other guys, and then they realize that Batar Jr. is not there, and this is what kind of escalates this whole situation. Um, but, you know, they think that Kuvira's playing games. Kuvira thinks that they're playing games. Meanwhile, Team Avatar, along with the Metal Clan and the Airbenders, um, have kind of taken care of this, the situation. But, but meanwhile, Lynn is kind of pleading her case to Batar, you know, it's very, it's very tender moment. It's very, it's very sad, kind of tragic that he's, he's so far gone that he's not even willing to listen to his, his mother, you know, and it's, it's, but all of this is being done in this episode in this way. Uh, to set it up so that what happens later is that much more impactful so that when we see what, what Kuvira does later it, it has a bigger effect Which that's why we got to see him say I love you earlier and that's why they're doing this because we need we, they want us to understand how strongly he feels about her so that it's more believable when Korra basically threatens to, to keep him away from her and that's kind of how she turns the tables on him after all this, is by saying that you know I won't hurt you physically, but wherever I go, I will take you with me, and I will keep you away from Kuvira, the one thing you care about the most. Which he's kind of proven here just now, because he's basically telling his mother, you know, I'm not interested. Kuvira is my only family, so you know that shows cora his weak his weakness, and his weakness at this point is Kuvira. Um, so, she basically threatens, you know, and it's a very cool moment. She just says, you know, I will take you with me wherever I go. You know, is is, is losing Kuvira worth uh, capturing Republic City? You know, so then we shift back over and we finally get, you know, Kuvira is made aware of what's going on. Um, and and then Batar contacts her and basically says, you know, uh, they said we can keep the Earth Empire. Uh, we don't even need, you know we don't really need Republic city. It's not worth our love. She's going to keep me away from you. And then Kuvira agrees and says, you know what? But Kuvira silently got something up her sleeve, obviously, because she mutes, she mutes the, the, uh, the system, um, the radio, you know, and she, meanwhile, she's saying, you know, track them, find, find their location. Cause we know that she's not going to be as, you know, straightforward about this whole thing as it appears. Uh, But, you know, they kind of have this conversation. And and to me, it sounds like a great deal. I mean, why not take the deal? This this just further shows how hell-bent Kuvira is at this point and how she's blinded by power. Because to me, it sounds very reasonable. You can have your Earth Empire, which is plenty, just leave Republic City alone. But she can't even do that. (laughs) But in this moment, you know, we're led to believe that she is going to accept that. Uh, because they do have Batar Jr. And she does care about him because of that moment that I addressed earlier, right? That smile she gave. Uh, So that meant that she was, you know, so we kind of get this moment where it seems like a very genuine thing and and that she's maybe going to back off. But then we find out basically immediately after that, that she's located them and she fires a ray into their location. And then we kind of get this final shot of them running and kind of ducking for cover and then this huge explosion. And then, uh, Lynn basically takes off find final, and see if there are any survivors. So that's what we left at with this episode. And, uh, yeah. Cliffhanger. If there ever was one, right. So that pretty much takes care of the episode talk there. Uh, if you have anything you want to say about that, any questions or comments, send me your correspondence to republic City report at gmail.com. Uh, and then on this note, I am going to switch over to, uh, correspondents for this episode. Um, I have a couple emails here. I'm going to go through these a little bit fast, uh, just because, um, well, to be honest with you, I'm having some neck pains today. (laughs) Uh, I, I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, first it's your throat. Now it's your neck. What's up? Yeah. Well, It's been a very long day. It's been a very long day. Okay. So I'm going to kind of go through these a little more quickly than I probably normally would. I apologize if I don't uh, address everything in as much detail as I normally would. Uh, But once again, as I said earlier, I have a couple emails here from, from vid of one of these is just reference material vid. Thanks for that. Uh, I'm not going to read that one. Uh, Vid was kind of just letting me know about some, a bunch of different things that he found online in terms of the continuance of uh, avatar, the last airbender story. Uh, which I kind of talked about before. There are these graphic novels, and I think I read the first two of those, but I believe there more of them have been released now, and uh, V.A. pointed me toward uh, some links to find that, um, as well as the Republic City Hustle links, which I still haven't seen. <laughs> I still have not seen Republic City Hustle. Uh, I need to watch that. I really do, because I've always felt that Mako was like the least developed character on the show, and maybe just watching that will... Uh, will help me feel less like that so okay let's see um let's see vid okay i've got vid's email here um it says here hello tim thank you for your thoughtful comments about the operation bayfong chapter of legend of cora i especially appreciate how you draw our attention to the care that's put into all the different aspects of the creation and the production of this show This includes your comments about the fight scenes. This is the sort of thing that helps us to more fully appreciate all that this show and its predecessor have to offer. I also appreciate your comments about your high opinion of the overall quality of The Legend of Korra. I enjoyed learning about the kind of exposure that you wish The Legend of Korra could get and the kinds of awards that you think the show deserves. I feel much the same way. I experienced a welcome sense of shared appreciation when you expressed that in your podcast. So thank you for emphasizing it. On another subject, I'm sure that I speak for many of your enthusiastic listeners when I say the following. Please feel free to drink some water while you're recording the podcast. Since you are a talented podcast host and actor, I'm sure that we all want for you to take good care of your throat and voice. <laughs> okay, so if you're wondering what that's about, in the last episode, um I was talking about how my throat was getting very parched uh at the end of it. And Vid, Vid, you're, you're absolutely right. And I actually do keep water with me when I record these. Um Sometimes it's a little more than that, though. You know, I may I may say the word parched, but it's it, sometimes it's strain. Sometimes my, I'm literally losing my voice. Uh, but yes, <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Uh, and I will I will definitely keep some water next to me. Um, I get dehydrated very easily. Um, so uh, it says here, here are some thoughts about previous chapters of The Legend of Korra and about some of the excellent questions that you brought up about them. Number one, earth bending and distance. You had asked some good questions about the distance over which earth bending can be done. At first, I had some speculation, which after a good night's sleep, I realized held no water and no earth. Wink, wink. So now I'll offer only an idea that might help us to sort this out. I understand that all the forms of bending take their inspiration from real world martial arts. And so there are connections between the movements that the characters make and the kinds of results that they get. Watching the episode itself, it seems as if the suspended cage in which the Beifong family members were imprisoned was made of wood and held by long ropes. This doesn't yet answer your question about the distance, but at least the cage itself was something that they couldn't bend. Perhaps those are clues about why the Beifong family members' imprisonment succeeded in preventing their earthbending. Uh, What do you think? Uh, yes 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 yes. Um the the only thing about that is that it it still it still brings in even more questions in some way, because the yeah I, I noticed too that the cage was made out of wood, but is wood not a form of earth? I mean you know like when you really think about it, it's gotta have some earth in it, right? I mean I've never really thought of wood as earth, but I I don't know. They just I think they just should have done a better job of being distinctive about what is considered earth and what isn't considered earth. I mean, they, if they managed to, uh, make, bring metal into the equation, then I feel like they could have found a way to bring wood into the equation too. You know, I feel like wood is more close to earth than metal is, but I'm not backing that up with any kind of scientific, (laughs) uh, evidence. Um, but yeah, but Vid, one thing I did notice in one of your previous uh, versions of email because you had a couple uh, corrections you were making, is that one of your previous ones mentioned th- the fact that from what you recalled about earthbending, that uh, earthbenders had to feel the earth beneath them in order to bend it. Uh, I'm wondering why you didn't include that in this email because I, I feel like that's a really good theory. <laughs> I feel like that. Uh, I feel like that's actually the reason behind it and i mean and that's just something that i forgot about i feel like that that is that that would because it would definitely explain why they were suspended in air right because they didn't want because if they're not, if they're not touching the earth they can't bend it um <clears throat> now are there some exceptions to that in some episodes probably i mean i'm sure at some point someone was flying through the air and bended the earth you know but I think I think that that suggestion that you made in the other email was actually probably the best one is that that probably is the case, because that when I think about that theory, that kind of uh, explains every aspect of it that I didn't really understand, uh, because if they're not touching it, then they wouldn't be able to bend it. And that, that really does just explain everything. <laughs> so I think that was probably a good, a good, uh, good theory there. OK, um, And yes, of course, yeah, all of the 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 bending is is inspired by real martial arts. And that's one of the things that I've I've kind of always loved about the show and the series, Um, you know, that that, you know, and that's why it, it to me, at least it translated very well to live action. Now, that movie was not good. okay, but I didn't have a problem with any of the martial arts. And some people didn't like the fact that they were doing all this stuff just to bend. But I thought it was great because to me. It was real martial arts, and that's how it should happen. It shouldn't be just move your hand and move a rock. You know, it should be I'm going to do some sort of a martial arts type of, uh, you know, some movements to get these things to happen. To me, it's much more beautiful to watch when it is like that. Number two, bending rules. I've heard interviews with The Legend of Core co-creator Brian Konitzko. I know how to say it now. Thanks to Vid in that video in which he indicated that they uh, worked hard to develop rules for the various forms of bending. He acknowledged that even with their best efforts, of course, they still ended up with some flaws. I guess that's the destiny of any human creation. I did hear Brian Canisco, uh once express, though, that while developing the original series, he was passionate that bending could not have unlimited reach or power. So, for example, he didn't want an earthbender to be able to level a mountain at a distance just by thinking about it. And that is what separates this show from Dragon Ball Z. I added that. That vid didn't say that. (laughs) Uh, Which, I love Dragon Ball Z, too. Uh, Back to the email. Brian pointed out that as much as he loved the Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings books and movies, he was always unclear about what were the rules and limitations of the magic. Often after reading a book or watching an installment, he would scratch his head about how the magic was supposed to work, why certain magical actions were possible in some circumstances but weren't used in others, and what accounted for the different power levels that the different characters exhibited. He indicated that he prefers fantasy stories in which the magic has rules and limits. Makes sense to me. Um, It intrigues me that in another area, this is where for you the Legend of Korra has been less than satisfying. If only the makers of the series had been clearer about the rules governing how spirits and the spirit world operate. Yes, Vid, that was always that was always kind of my thing. Like, I think it's all very cool, but, you know, you do have to establish some rules in your universe, because if not, then it, then it starts to become you find plot holes and you start to think, well, this happened here. So why doesn't it work here? And you do kind of have to set those rules. Um, speaking of, I was speaking about Dragon Ball Z a minute ago. Um, Dragon Ball Z doesn't have those kinds of rules for the most part. So kind of anything can happen in some ways. And it it, it hurts the story because of it. Because, you know, there are these instances where something happens. You say, well, okay, well, now all of a sudden, why are they able to do this when they weren't able to do this before? And Legend of Korra is pretty good about keeping track of those kinds of things uh, with the rules that they have established. On with the email. Um, I'm noting that creative people like Brian and Mike learn from limitations that they notice in such stories as Harry Potter and The Lord of Rings. Since that's so, there may be others such as you, my daughter, or perhaps even I, can learn from what didn't satisfy us in things that we otherwise have loved, such as Legend of Korra. Since you are a screenwriter, I'm guessing that this ideal might appeal to you. What do you think? Oh, uh, totally. Totally. Um, I've yet to attempt to create something on the scale of, uh, Harry Potter or the the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I mean, in a serious capacity, I definitely have some ideas and there are definitely some things I've started on that could potentially turn into something. Uh, I won't say as big as the Lord of the Rings in terms of popularity, but I'll say as big as the Lord of the Rings in terms of uh, the world that was created there by Tolkien. Um, but yes, uh, if I if I ever do venture out into something like that, you know, I will have to come up with my own set of rules and things such as that. And, and even with some of my shorter screenplays, there are always some rules in the world uh, that you kind of have to keep there to keep things in order. And so that it makes sense. Number three, Zahir and his rapid mastery of airbending on another subject going back further in time. I seem to recall that either you or a listener raised questions about how Zahir managed to master airbending so quickly. I noticed a related comment in another interview from Brian and Mike in it. They explained that when he was imprisoned, Zaheer was a proficient martial artist already, but that he lacked bending ability. By gaining air bending ability, in effect, he was giving a tool, much like a weapon, that someone with martial arts proficiency could then use quickly and well. This reminds me of another aspect of the Avatar universe. Not only are there those who, if they train, have the inborn potential to develop bending ability... There are also those who do not have the inborn potential to develop bending ability. Uh, so yeah, so those who do and those who don't. Uh, but if they train, they can become proficient martial artists. Uh, so in the Legend of Korra, Asami is a non-bending but proficient martial artist. Unlike most of the other individuals, such as Bumi, who acquired some air bending ability after Harmonic Convergence, Zaheer was already proficient martial artist when he acquired airbending ability as a result without having to go through the usual time and training the master airbending he was able to use that tool in combination with his martial arts proficiency i think we can also assume that zaheer is a quote-unquote natural what do you think vid i agree with all of that um and i i do remember bringing that up um and i'm but i think i i think i actually did uh kind of address that um because I, I know the interview you're talking about with Brian and Mike and I, I watched it. Um, and I think maybe on the episode following that or the one after I did come back and say, um, I, did, I think I did come back and elaborate after, watch, after hearing Brian and Mike talk about it, that say that all, everything you just said, basically, that yes, that is because he was such an amazing fighter in general, that airbending was just another weapon for him. Um, I could be wrong about that. But I think I, I know I watched that interview, so I think I did actually come back and talk about it. So I, I agree with all that. And, and yes, uh, very nice of them to uh, explain that. Number four, a podcast idea on another subject. Thank you for being so regular about releasing one podcast episode per chapter of The Legend of Korra. During that has allowed us to appreciate your detailed review and commentary about each chapter. Just now, though, I thought of something a little different. After you have finished recording and posting one podcast per chapter, assuming that this is also what you expect to do with the last two chapters of Legend of Korra, I'm wondering whether you would consider doing one more episode of Republic City Report. My guess is that the podcast episodes that you record about each of these last two chapters will stimulate more on your listeners, and that some of us may want to send you more email. Adding a post-finale podcast episode would allow your listeners to send you some additional emails. Then you could record a series wrap up, perhaps also looking back on the series as a whole. During even that one, extra Republic City Report episode would enable you to respond to those additional listener feedback items. What do you think? Uh, Yeah. Vid. No, that's that makes perfect sense to me. And uh, I may have not been super clear about this before because I don't I don't remember my final episodes of the previous three books, you know, in detail at the moment. But one thing that's always been consistent with this podcast is that i've always said if you have emails send them in (laughs) right um because if if i have something to talk about then the podcast can continue you're right at least to some extent um so yeah no that that's always been something that i've 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 tried to make clear now i try to i apologize if i haven't but yes once we get these last two episodes out the way uh, if, there, if you want, if you guys want to write me with your thoughts and your opinions on it, especially since this is the final episodes of the series, then I will gladly come back into another another episode. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. It makes perfect sense to me. Number five. Conclusion. Thank you again for your wonderful Republic City Report podcast. I hope to write and send a separate message that focuses more on Kuvira's gambit. I'm torn between my eagerness to watch the two chapter finale next week. And my sadness about the series coming to an end. Even so, I look forward to your next comments on your Republic city report podcast and to your next appearance on geekly dose. Gratefully vid vid. Thank you so much for that. And you did manage to get your email in on Kavir's gambit, uh, as well before I recorded this. So I'm going to go ahead and switch over and read that one now. And vid I also appreciate the fact that you listened to geekly dose that you went back and checked that out. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end for those of you who are wondering what that is. Okay, so I have one final email here Email here from Vid uh, pertaining to this specific episode. Hello, Tim. As usual, I'm looking forward to your review, comments, thoughts, and speculations about the latest chapter of Legend of Korra. Here are a few thoughts about mine, of mine about Chapter 11, Kuvira's Gambit. I like both the humor and, humor and the drama. Although it was not surprising, I thought it helped that we saw that moment between Kuvira and Batar Jr. in which they expressed their plans to get married. Obviously, as the chapter unfolded, this proved to be important. I love Julie's interaction with Varric. It was deeply satisfying to see her stand up to him. Obviously, he still has some growing up to do. I enjoyed that Prince Wu did something that made a real difference. I also liked how I impressed Mako and Lin were with Prince Wu's capacity to rally the people of Republic City. I like that Prince Wu is still growing. Even though Prince Iroh didn't do much, at least not yet, your wish to see him reappear came true. Yes, it did. (laughs) Although the early arrival of Kuvira's forces was dramatic, my breath was taken away when her giant mech suit was revealed. Previously, I had said that I thought of the spear weapon as Kuvira's Death Star. Although I could make the same comparison with her giant mech suit, the suit actually reminded me of Godzilla. Obviously, it isn't literally the the same, but the giant form attacking a city, making huge ground-shaking noises with each step and launching brutal attacks, even from a distance, reminded me of the Godzilla concept. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to address that really quick. Yeah, totally, vid, totally. Uh, You know, I'm not going to pretend like I know a ton about this kind of thing, but uh, these these giant mech suits, uh, whether they're called mechs or... uh, or just Zords, or you know, like in Power Rangers. They, from what I understand, those things have a, very much have a, a history in in Japanese culture, and television and cinema. Uh, you know, giant these giant robots. United States certainly didn't come up with that. <laughs> that that's all Japanese stuff. So um, some of the earliest. Um, origins of these giant mech suits go back to the original Godzilla from Japan. Because uh, you can go back and find old movies of Godzilla fighting big giant robots and things like that. So, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that it reminds you that uh, this is very much sort of a descendant of that. Um, you know, these giant robots are very much a uh, descendant uh, from Japanese cinema. So, um, yes, you're very. You're, it's very warranted um, that you... Uh, view it that way back to your email Kuvira attacking with the giant mech suit and the spirit weapon combined with the amazing sound of the walking and firing uh, sent chills up my spine. i was also moved by the terrified looks of the various characters lined up to protect republic city i found president Rikos surrender emotionally moving when cora in a serious and straight-faced way told milo why she believed he could not join her team in an effort to capture Batara jr i laughed out loud I also found it humorous when Batar Jr. was missing at the very time when he was supposed to be negotiating the terms of surrender with President Raiko. Of course, the climactic moment was huge. If anyone had any doubt, Kuvira now has demonstrated the depth of her villainous ambition. And now we're left with questions. Which characters will have survived? Which will have perished? Regardless, how will any survivors recover and rally against this overwhelmingly powerful adversary? In my opinion, this sets us up well for the finale. I'm on the edge of my seat wondering what will happen next. What do you think? Uh, I feel the exact same way. Um they're doing a very good job of setting up, you know, basically it's a setup for a huge battle. As as with every finale. Um but I'm, I'm very curious to see how this is going to turn out. Uh and, and I'm very curious and interested to see Cora, you know, solidify this legend uh, of herself that, that that we're supposed to be left with here. Um, the end of your email states, again, I'm torn. I'm eager to watch the next two episodes, yet I'm also aware that if I watch them, that will be the end of the series. Regardless, I look forward to whatever podcast episodes you will still do for Public City Report. Thank you for everyone that you have done or will do. Best wishes, Vid. Vid, thank you so much. Um, you know, it's, it's because of people like you that this podcast has continued, to be honest with you. Uh, there was a time when I didn't get many emails in the beginning. Um, as a matter of fact, through the majority of book two, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have very few emails. <laughs> if you go back and you, and you listen to those episodes, they were probably like 30 minutes apiece because all I could do was talk about the episode and that was it. And now look how long they've gotten. So I want to thank all of you guys for sending in your emails and being such loyal listeners. Uh, I appreciate your opinions. I appreciate the support most definitely. And uh, I, I agree. I'm look, I'm just very sad that the podcast as well as the series are coming to an end soon uh, with next week. Right. Or this week. Well, I'm recording this on a Tuesday. So um, and I don't even think I was aware that both episodes were going to be released at the same time. Um, so it's very interesting that they're doing that. But then again, they do that. It seems like they do that with every book now. So. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to go about recording the podcast episodes for that. Uh, once upon a time, I would split them into two episodes. But I think at the end of book three, I combined them into one because it just felt like it made more sense. After I watch them, I'll, I'll see what feels like it makes, it makes more sense. So with that being said, either we'll have one more episode of Republic City Report. Or we'll have two more episodes left or we'll have three, depending on how many emails I get after the finale. And if you guys want me to come on and do one more final one. So we either have one more left, like I said, or three more left or two. It could be either one of those. You guys decide. okay? Um, But with that being said, I think that about does it for this episode. Um, uh, I want to come. I want to mention Geekly Dose once again. Geekly Dose is another podcast that I do where we just talk about geek stuff. It's me, my co-host, and our producer, and we just talk about geek stuff. I mean, it's been a lot of movie talk lately because there's been a lot of things going on with DC and Warner Brothers and Marvel and Disney and et cetera. So it has been a lot of that stuff, and plus that's really my area of expertise more so than video games or comics. Um, but we talk about it all on there. We try to get it all in on, on there, and there's a ton of those episodes on iTunes right now, ton, uh, maybe 40 or so, I think, maybe. Um, which doesn't seem like a lot because now I'm up to episode 40 of this podcast, (laughs) but that podcast was, was, it began as a weekly thing and then it became bi-weekly and then it became once a month and then it became once every couple months. And that's why there's so few episodes, uh, you know, even though the podcast has been active for about two years, it's only about 40 episodes or, or less, but um we're coming back with another episode on that um hopefully next week we'll do a christmas spectacular thing and if everything uh kind of uh works out as planned there'll be a pretty big surprise there and we when we do geekly those we usually stream it live on youtube so if you haven't went over to youtube.com slash awesome pod yet you can actually go there and watch uh some of the previous episodes video wise with me my co-host and the producer that's one thing that we do in Geek Kiddos when we're in the studio is we stream it live, and we're going to try to do that with that with the next episode uh, next week. So be on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, I'm just <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I just have to take a moment to 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 kind of reflect on the fact that this is the 40th episode of Republic City Report. I mean, that's that's a lot, and it feels like it was just yesterday we were celebrating the 25th when I recorded the the song and everything, you know. Um, it's crazy you know I almost wish we could get to episode 50 you know for another big thing but we're not going to get that far (laughs) because the series is coming to an end but anyway um, just a reminder here uh, head over to facebook.com slash timbridgewater2 Uh, if you want to keep up with me and everything I have going on that will take place after this podcast uh, I do a couple different things I do acting I do writing uh, I do some music stuff uh, I've got a couple different things coming out in the near future. Um, if any of you guys happen to be in the New Orleans, New Orleans area or even Baton Rouge, um, or if you just happen to be going to Wizard World, New Orleans uh, Comic Con, I'm actually going to be there. Uh I am not going to be there for a Public City Report. Unfortunately, my podcast is not big enough for that. <laughs> but I will be there in several other capacities. So if you happen to find me and you come up to me and you say I listen to Public City Report, well that would just make my entire day and we can talk about it. Um but I will be there with this new group that I'm a part of called the Louisiana Ghostbusters. Uh if you have a chance look up Louisiana Ghostbusters. There are several different states across the country that have their own kind of sort of group of Ghostbusters. And when I say that, I don't mean we're actually ghost hunters. I mean, Ghostbusters, like the movie Ghostbusters, right? Uh, what they do is they go around and do um, do different events for different charities. So parades and things like that, and toy drives and, and health drives and things like that. And uh, what we do is we show up in full gear, full costume with proton packs that actually light up and blink and vibrate and and there's even ecto that we have and it's this whole big thing and i'm i'm the i'm one of the newer members right i kind of just gotten board with this thing um because there's a web series so we're also doing a web series called louisiana ghostbusters and now the trailer slash opening credits for that is up as well on youtube so if you look up louisiana ghostbusters on youtube you can see that and you can see me standing there with the proton pack uh, blasting a proton stream in that trailer. Um, so like I said, this is kind of new for me because I, I can't, I, I came into the web series as an actor. They asked me to be a part of it because I'm an actor and I happened to know a couple of the people and they wanted me to be in it. Um, but outside of that, Louisiana ghost Bus is an actual group that, like I said, does parades and everything like that. So if you look up, Louisiana Ghostbusters on Facebook, it'll all be there. And I'm going to be there with them at Comic-Con. Um, we're probably going to have a booth or a table just taking donations and taking pictures with the Ecto and the Proton packs and everything. Uh, so I'm hoping to do that. And then not only that, episode one of our web series will sh- screen on. Uh, I got to get the I gotta get clarification on the dates. I think it's January 9th, 10th, and 11th. And the 10th is a Saturday, I believe. And that morning our film will be screening and there will be a panel on that as well. So, uh, whether or not I'm going to be a part of the panel, I'm not exactly sure yet, probably. But once again, if you're going to be there, send me an email, publiccityreport at gmail.com. Let me know. Uh, remember Tim Bridgewater, you can find me. (laughs) I'll be wearing a Ghostbusters suit with a tag on that shirt that says Bridgewater on it. So if you're going to be there and you want to talk about Republic City Report at all, then I'll be there. Um, I'm hoping to go at least two days. One day as a Ghostbuster and one day maybe as Snake Eyes like I did for Halloween. So if any of you are going to be in that area, be sure to lick me up and uh, let me know. Uh, okay. Is that everything? I feel like I'm just yapping on and on and on here. Okay. Uh, anything else I will say on the next episode? So until next time for a Public City Report, I'm Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys. And I will see you next time. Facebook.com slash awesomepods. And follow us on Twitter at awesomepods.